Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, January the 29th, and I hope that this finds you and all of yours doing well. Today, we're going to begin a new sermon series. Today, we're going to begin looking at Paul's letter to Philemon. Now, a couple of things before we jump in. Um, I'm going to be going through several scriptures uh, today, and over the next several weeks. And you can go to our website to BECF, as in Banner Oak Christian Fellowship, BECF.org. And on the homepage, there's a button over on your right, a little tab. You can click that and it says um, Sunday Scripture. And it'll take you uh, to to um, a place where all of the scriptures that we are looking at today um, can be found. You can open that up. It's a Word document do your own Bible study throughout the week, look at the scriptures or follow along um, if you wish while we're uh, going through this study. Um, They are listed in order that we cover them and we talk about them uh, here in the message. So yes, Philemon. You know, as Christians, there are some things that we do automatically. You know, for example, coming coming to our worship service, partaking the Lord's Supper, praying, singing, etc., but there are other things that we sometimes take for granted and and you know I need a little reminder of from time to time and and so many times we go through our christian lives doing christian things but also often we forget about the obvious um when paul wrote a letter to his dear friend philemon he was reminding him of a very obvious attitude that all christians must have he was reminding him that he should have the attitude of Jesus as he reminded the church in Philippi in Philippians 2, 5. We're going to make our way through the letter to Philemon, which is one of the smallest letters written in the New Testament by Paul. And we're going to see how he has love for all the saints because of the love he received from God himself in verses 1 through 3. And Philemon 4 through 7, he's going to explain why he loves those who are faithful. People are talking about the church that meets in Philemon's house, and he's going to tell Philemon that their faith in Christ hasn't gone unnoticed, and that the love that they have for others hasn't gone unnoticed. And then in Philippians 8 through 11, he's going to make this appeal to Philemon on the basis of love for Onesimus, who was a runaway slave of Philemon. And Philemon's going to, Paul's going to appeal to Philemon and say to him, listen, I could tell you what to do, but I'm not going to do that because I too am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, just like you. But what I'm going to do is tell you good news. I, I have Onesimus with me, and he's a changed man because he has become a prisoner of Jesus Christ as well. In Philemon's 12 through 16, he's going to remind us that our love should be spontaneous. He's going to tell Philemon that Onesimus' leaving could be a part of God's plan because he's not just a slave anymore, but he's Philemon's brother in Christ now. And then in Philemon 17 through 21, he's going to explain how how love and obedience go together. Paul's going to place his faith in God that Philemon will do the right thing because he knows that Philemon's love is evident through his continual obedience to the gospel of Christ. And then in Philemon 22 through 25, he's going to explain the importance of loving all the saints, all all of us, all, all people. And he's going to share with us how other people, even people he may not 
have met before are thinking about him because of their love for all of the other believers. And the reason they're thinking about him is because they're in the same boat that he's in. They all rely. We all rely on God's grace. Now, I don't know how you would feel about reading someone's private personal letters, but God has allowed this private letter from Paul to Philemon into the holy canon of scripture, into his holy word. And, and so for that reason, I think it's good for us to study it. Now, before we, we get into the text, let's remember why Paul wrote this great letter to Philemon in the first place. There was a man named Philemon who lived in a place called Colossae. He was a very wealthy man, so wealthy, in fact, that he owned at least one domestic slave named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus ran away from from Philemon, from his master, and arrived in Rome, where he met Paul. And after they met, Paul shared the good news about Jesus with him, and Onesimus became a Christian. And so in this letter, Paul is pleading on behalf of Onesimus for Philemon to take Onesimus back and forgive him of all his wrongdoings. Now, you see, at some point, Paul had convinced Onesimus that running away from your problems doesn't make them go away, but facing your problems can actually be a blessing. So Onesimus wants to return to his master. Now, though, now through the grace of, of God, uh, that's the setting for the letter to Philemon. There's a lot of things in here to unpack. Um, there's a lot of things that make us incredibly uncomfortable. Um, slavery for just one, and we'll talk about that. But here we go, Philemon 1. Uh, through three, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Epiphria, our sister, and Acripius, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul called himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he called himself that for two reasons. The first reason is because he is literally in prison at this time, he was under house arrest. Acts 28, 30 through 31 tells us for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. So this tells us that Paul must have been a pretty wealthy man as well, because he stayed there in this own, his own rented house. And we know he was wealthy because if you're under house arrest, you had to pay for your own guard to guard you under Roman law. We know he was wealthy because he he took Dr. Luke with him everywhere. Luke was his personal doctor, and Paul paid for his services. And so he's imprisoned in Rome, but under moderate supervision in his own house. And, and it's from here that he writes this letter. But he calls himself a prisoner of Christ for another reason. Paul was a prisoner of Jesus because he was in prison for Jesus' sake. In other words, when he became a Christian and started preaching the gospel of Christ, he was being persecuted for the sake of Jesus, and part of that that persecuting meant that he ended up in prison for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul is a prisoner of Christ because he wants to be a prisoner of Christ. Nobody forced him to become a follower of Jesus. He chose to follow Jesus, and if anyone forces you or forced you to become a Christian, well, they shouldn't have. It's wrong. You can't do it. And who else can Paul depend on? Who else has a love for him that's immeasurable? Paul asked that question to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? And when we start thinking like that, <clears throat> when we realize that 
No one else can love us more than God can. When we realize that God really is a God of love, as 1 John 4, 8 reminds us, it's then that we realize that we want to be a servant of God, that we want to be a prisoner of Jesus. Because whether we're a Christian or not, the Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So listen, if we're not a Christian this morning, if, we, if, if we're not following Jesus, if you get anything out of today, then know this, God loves you incredibly. He loves you so much that he sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you, to die for me. First Timothy 1.15 says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You see, Paul understood that if Christ died for him, the worst of sinners, he had absolutely no doubts about how much God loved him. Paul knew exactly who he was and who his master was, and he was absolutely aware of the love of Christ at all times. A Frenchman had upset Napoleon one time, and so he was put in a dungeon. He was soon deserted by his friends and forgotten about by the rest of the world. He was lonely. He was in despair. And one day he scratched on the prison wall with a stone. Nobody cares. A few days later, this green shoot came up through the cracks in the stones of the floor of the dungeon, and it began to reach upward toward the light in the tiny window at the top of the cell. The prisoner kept part of the water brought to him each day by the jailer and, and poured it on this blade of green, and it grew until at last it became a plant with, this, with beautiful blue flowers on it. And as the petals opened in full blossom, this lonely prisoner scratched off the words that he had written before on the wall and and wrote above them, God cares. And that's the point. Even when Paul found himself in a, in a prison cell at times, he continued to remember the love of God, that God cares, that he's not forgotten. He knew that even in a prison, his God still loved him, still cared for him, would meet all of his needs, and God gave him the opportunity to share that love with others. But unlike the Frenchman, Paul had company on this occasion and his brother Timothy with him. Now, Philemon 1, uh, uh, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Now, Paul may have converted Timothy, and we understand this because of the language that Paul uses to describe him. In 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul calls him his beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And again, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, Paul calls him his true son in the faith. And we know that Timothy was held in high regard in places like Lystra and Iconium. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along as a, as a traveling companion. So from Paul's point of view, Timothy wasn't just a brother in the Lord. He was a man he could trust as a companion. He was a man that he loved. And Paul wrote about him in Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 and 22, and said, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your, wef- your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that this Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And the reason Paul describes Timothy that way is, is because he too was touched by the love of God. Here was a brother who genuinely cared for others and put others first. Here was a brother who had proved himself over and over again as a servant of the gospel. 
Now we can we can all do with a brother and a friend like that, can't we? A friend who has no other alternative motives for trying to help us, someone who looks out for our interests before they think of their own. And that's the kind of person Timothy was, trustworthy, genuine, a man who knew what true love was and a faithful companion in the Lord. Now let me ask a question. What what's your best friend like? Are they are they someone who you see from time to time? Only if and when they take the time to see you, or are they someone who has been touched by the love of God and will always be there for you, no matter what happens in your life? You see, when we're touched by God's love, we want to extend that love to others. And that's what these Christians did with the love that they received from God. And that's why Philemon opened up his house so that anyone who wanted to receive this could come in and receive it, this love of God. So here's some things about Philemon whose name means beloved. Some commenters, commentators, excuse me, believe that Apiphia is his wife and Acrippus is his son, who were both mentioned in verse two of Philemon. We can't be sure about that. But one thing we are sure of is that they were faithful members of the church that meets in his house. Now, Philemon was a well-respected man in his community. He was a wealthy man. He owned lots of land. He's so rich, in fact, as we mentioned earlier, that he owns at least one slave. And Philemon himself became a Christian when he heard the gospel being preached by Paul. That's what Paul means when he says, not to mention that you you owe me your very self in Philemon 19. We'll get to that later. But the point of this, from the moment we become a Christian, is we need to learn a new walk. We need to have the same attitude as Jesus had. And Philemon is no exception. He is going to learn that Jesus always dealt with people with love. He's going to learn to rely on God instead of his wealth to get him through the day as, as just as Jesus did. He's going to learn to see a slave as his brother in Christ instead of seeing him as a piece of property to be exploited. He's going to learn that a slave and rich people all rely on the same grace that he does. He's going to learn to share what he has with others for the glory of God as Jesus did. And he did that when he opened up his house and allowed the church to meet there. Now, remember that early Christians didn't have church buildings like we do today. They met in people's homes. Romans 16, 3 through 5, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. And then Colossians 4, 15, give my Greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. There was a man who went into the Westminster Cathedral with his hat on and the rector approached the man and asked him to remove his hat because he was in the Lord's house. To which the man replied, sir, I am the Lord's house. Friends, we, we are the church, and I think that we forget that we are the body of Christ, which makes up his church. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, 29 through 30, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And when Paul says to Philemon, uh, in, in Philemon verse 2, to the church that meets in your home, he's not addressing a physical be, a building. He's addressing the Christians who, who came together to worship God in Philemon's house. They're members of the body. 
Now, now we we see we can we can lose our place of worship, the church building, but that doesn't stop us from coming together to worship God as a church. So when we start putting the church building ahead of the people who make up the church, we get into all sorts of trouble. That that that's why it was interesting in in twenty and twenty one when we heard about the quote unquote church being closed and some were at a loss as to as to what they could do. But you see, you can't close down the church because the church is you and I and it's eternal and the church is here for a purpose. And in fact, Jesus says in Matthew sixteen eighteen, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Overcome what? The church. And so Philemon opened up his house. He was sending an open invitation to other people in a very hostile society to come and to receive the love and the comfort that he had received from God. And in 2 Corinthians verse 1, 3 through 4, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, the word for comfort means strength in this passage. So the church is here so that we can encourage, strengthen, and love each other with the encouragement, strength, and the love that we ourselves have received from God. Friends, our sin is our qualification for membership. And everywhere we go, there, there are sinaholics. And, and one way God shows, and one way God shows his love is by giving us his grace and his peace. Notice how Paul reminds Philemon of the source of that grace and peace and the spiritual state that Philemon needs to be in. He says in verse three, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whenever Paul writes to someone to deal with any situation, he doesn't go straight in and deal with the situation first. He always writes and gets his readers thinking, thinking first. He, he gets their minds focused on Jesus first before dealing with any situation or problem. And the first three verses, he's already mentioned Christ two times. He mentions Jesus Christ eight times throughout the small letter. So not only does he remind Philemon of who Christ is, he's reminding him of the spiritual relationship all Christians have with God. Grace and peace are from the Father and the Son, and so they are both the source of every blessing. And Paul writes about himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul, who experienced so much grace and peace in his life by being delivered from his past sin of persecuting the church wants to remind the church of their need for grace and peace. And when Paul says grace and peace to you, he's talking about God's mercies, God's unfailing love and God's favor. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, our God and Lord Jesus can supply everything we need for this life. Everything he's saying. When we fall, God will give us grace to help us back up. When we feel like giving up on God, God will not give up on us. When we're tempted, God will help us through it. When Satan is attacking us, God will give us peace. Or as Paul says in Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now notice how God meets our needs. Paul says, according to his glorious riches. He doesn't say out of his glorious riches, but according to his glorious riches. Now, we may wonder what's so important about that. Well, let's look at it this way. 
If I come to you for some money and you give me some out of your bank account and I come back for more money and you give me more out of your bank account and and I keep coming back pretty soon, you're going to be all out of money. But Paul says God's riches are unending. They are unlimited. They are immeasurable. In in Ephesians 3.20, Paul says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that's at work within us. God can never run out of blessings for us because they're immeasurable. So here's a, here's a rhetorical question. Do we enjoy those blessings? Do I refuse to worry about tomorrow because, because our God is going to take care of that according to his glorious riches? Do, do I regularly and joyfully offer thanks to God for those riches? I mean, Am I just overwhelmed every day for how good he's been to us? One time an English father wanted to teach his son a lesson on God's great goodness. He took his son to the top of a hill and he pointed northward towards Scotland, southward towards England and eastward towards the ocean and then westward over the hills and valleys. And then he swept his arms all around the horizon and said, son, God's love is as big as all that. And the little boy's eyes opened really wide. And he said, father, then we must be in the right, right in the middle of it. And the point is this, whether we're a believer or not, we're right in the middle of God's blessings. His blessings are all around us. All we have to do is take a look. Look at the food that we eat, the clothes we're wearing, the sun that shines, the snow and the rain that falls. Matthew 5, 45, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now notice whose son it is. It's God's son. And every time his son shines, it's a blessing from God to us, whether we are a Christian and acknowledge it or not. Every time his rain falls, it's a blessing from God to us. Whether we are a Christian or not, whether we are a believer or not, every day we're alive is a gift from God to us. And so when Paul says grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying that God is the supplier of everything, not just spiritual things, but material things too. Ephesians 1, 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As Christians, we enjoy our spiritual blessings because we've acknowledged where they come from. We've obeyed the gospel, been baptized into Christ, and so we're now in Christ. If we're not in Christ, it's impossible for us to enjoy those spiritual blessings because we're still outside of Christ. But if we're, in not, if we're not in Christ, we can't share the love of God with others until we received and experienced the love of God ourselves. So if you're not a believer this morning, I pray that you will recognize all the blessings around you and that you will see that and you will want to have a relationship with the one and only holy God. You see, when we've been touched by the love of God, we're going to want to share that love with others. So friends, let's make known God's love to everyone we meet. Let's boldly tell the world that we that they too can receive and share in the grace and in the peace from God that we so desperately rely on ourselves. And all that from just that first three verses of Philemon. Amen. And God bless.